Chapter Seventeen of Dodo: A Detail of the Day by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Dodo's marriage was announced in September. It was to be celebrated at the beginning of December and was to be very grand indeed. Duchesses were expected to be nothing accounted of. She was still in Switzerland when it was made known, and events had developed themselves. The announcement came out in the following manner. She had taken her moonlight walk, but not with Prince Waldenech. She had mentioned to him, incidentally, that Jack was coming as well, and after dinner the prince found he had important dispatches waiting for him. Dodo was rather amused at the inadequacy of this statement, as no post had come in that morning. The thought that the prince particularly wished to take a romantic walk with her was entertaining. Next morning, however, while Dodo was sitting in her room, looking out over the wide green valley, her maid came in and asked if Prince Waldenech might have permission to speak to her. "'Good morning,' said Dodo affably, as he entered. "'I wish you had been with us last night. We had a charming walk, but Jack was dreadfully dull. Why didn't you come?' The prince twisted his long moustaches. "'Certainly I had no dispatches.' he declared with frankness. That was, how do you call it, oh, a white lie. Did you expect me to believe it? asked Dodo. Assuredly not, he returned. It would have been an insult to your understanding, but such statements are better than the truth sometimes. But I came here for another purpose, to say good-bye. You're not going, said Dodo surprisedly. "'Unless you tell me to stop,' he murmured, advancing to her. Dodo read his meaning at once, and determined to stop his saying anything more. "'Certainly I tell you to stop,' she said. "'You mustn't break our charming party so soon. Besides, I have a piece of news for you this morning. I ask for your congratulations.' "'Ah, those dispatches,' murmured the prince. "'No, it was not the fault of your dispatches.' said Dodo, laughing. It was settled some time ago. I shall be Lady Chesterford again next year. Allow me to introduce the Marchioness of Chesterford-elect to your highness. And she swept him a little curtsy. The prince bowed. The Marquis of Chesterford is a very fortunate man, he said. Decidedly I'd better go away tomorrow. Dodo felt annoyed with him. I thought he was clever enough not to say that she thought to herself. "'No, my dear prince, you shall do nothing of the sort,' she said. "'You are very happy here, and I don't choose that you should go away. I tell you to stop. You said you would if I told you.' "'I am a man of honour still,' said he, with mock solemnity. He put both hands together and bowed. "'I shall be the first to congratulate the Marquis,' he said. "'And may I hope?' the marchioness will think with pity on those less fortunate than he. Dodo smiled benignantly. He really had got excellent manners. The scene was artistic, and it pleased her. "'I should think you were too proud to accept pity,' she said. "'Have you ever seen me other than humble to you?' he asked. "'Take it, then,' said Dodo. "'As much as your case requires,' but I feel it is insolent of me to offer it. I take all the pity you have, said he, smiling gravely. 
I want it more than any other poor devil you might think of bestowing it on. He bowed himself gracefully out of the room. He and Dodo had been discussing English proverbs the day before, and Dodo asserted broadly that they were all founded on universal truths. The prince thought that pity was quite a promising gift. Dodo was a little uneasy after he'd gone. She was always a trifle afraid of him, though, to do her justice, no one would have guessed it. He had acted the rejected lover in the theatricals of the week before, and his acting had been rather too good. The scene she had just gone through reminded her very forcibly of it. She had found that she could not get the play out of her head afterwards, and had had long waking dreams that night in which the prince appeared time after time, and her refusal got more faint as he pressed his suit. She felt that he was the stronger of the two, and such a scene as the last inspired her with a kind of self-distrust. "'He will not make himself cheap,' Dodo said to herself. She was very glad he was going to stop, and had been surprised to feel how annoyed she was when he said he had come to wish good-bye. But she felt he had a certain power over her, and did not quite like it. She would take Jack out for a walk and make things even. Jack had no power over her, and she thought complacently how she could turn him round a little finger. Dear old Jack! What a good time they were going to have! She went downstairs and met the prince and Jack on the veranda. The former was murmuring congratulatory speeches, and Jack was saying, Thanks awfully, at intervals. He had once said to Dodo that the prince was an oily devil, which was putting it rather strongly. Dodo had stuck up for him. You only say he's oily, she said because he's got much better manners than you, and can come into the room without looking ridiculous, and I rather like devils as a rule, and him in particular, though I don't say he is one. Anyhow, he's a friend of mine, and you can talk about something else. Jack followed Dodo into the square, and sat down by her. "'What made you tell that chap that we were engaged?' he asked. "'Oh, I had excellent reasons,' said Dodo. The memory of the interview was still rather strong in her mind, and she felt not quite sure of herself. "'No doubt,' said Jack. "'But I wish you'd tell me what they were.' "'Don't talk as if you were the Inquisition, old boy,' she said. "'I don't see why I should tell you if I don't like.' "'Please yourself,' said Jack crossly, and got up to walk away. "'Jack, behave this minute,' said Dodo. "'Apologize instantly for speaking like that.' "'I beg its little pardon,' said Jack contentedly. He liked being hauled over the coals by Dodo. "'That's right. Now, if you'll be good, I'll tell you. Has he gone quite away?' "'Quite, thank goodness,' said Jack. "'Well,' said Dodo, "'I told him because he was just going to propose to me himself, and I wanted to stop him.' "'Nasty brute,' said Jack. "'I hope you gave it him hot.' "'That's a very rude thing to say, Jack.' said she. It argues excellent taste in him. Besides, you did it yourself. Nasty brute. What right has he got to propose to you, I should like to know? asked Jack. Just as much as you had. Then I ought to be kicked for doing it. Dodo applied the toe of a muddy shoe to Jack's calf. Now I've dirtied your pretty stockings, she said. Serves you right for proposing to me. How dare you, you nasty brute? Jack made a grab at her foot and made his fingers dirty. "'Jack, behave!' said Dodo. "'There are two thousand people looking.' "'Let them look,' said Jack recklessly. 
I am not going to be kicked in broad daylight within shouting distance of the hotel. Dodo, if you kick me again, I shall call for help. Call away, said Dodo. Jack opened his mouth and howled. An old gentleman who was just folding his paper into a convenient form for reading on a seat opposite put on his spectacles and stared at them in blank amazement. I told you I would, remarked Jack parenthetically. It's only Lord Chesterford, exclaimed Dodo in a shrill treble voice to the old gentleman. I don't think he's very well. I dare say it's nothing. Most distressing, said the old gentleman in a tone of the deepest sarcasm, returning to his paper. "'Most distressing,' echoed Dodo pianissimo to Jack, who was laughing in a hopeless internal manner. Dodo led him speechless away, and they wandered off to the little low wall that separates the street from the square. "'Now we'll go on talking,' said Jack, when he'd recovered somewhat. "'We were talking about that Austrian. What did you say to him?' "'Oh, I've told you.' I simply stopped him asking me by telling him I was going to marry someone else. "'What did he say then?' demanded Jack. "'Oh, he asked me for sympathy,' said Dodo. "'Which you gave him?' "'Certainly,' she answered. "'I was very sorry for him, and I told him so. But we did it very nicely and politely, without stating anything but only hinting at it.' "'A nasty, vicious, oily brute,' observed Jack. "'Jack! You're ridiculous, said she. He's nothing of the sort. I've told him to come and see us when we're in England, and you'll have to be very polite and charming to him. Oh, he can come then, said Jack, but I don't like him. They strolled down the street towards the church, and Dodo insisted on buying several entirely useless brackets, which chamois horns stuck aimlessly about them. I haven't got any money, she observed. Fork up, Jack. Seven and eight are fifteen and seven are twenty-two. Thanks. Dodo was dissatisfied with one of her brackets before they reached the hotel again, and presented it to Jack. It's awfully good of you, said he. Do you mean that you only owe me fifteen? Only fourteen, said Dodo. This was eight francs. It'll be very useful to you, and when you look at it, you can think of me, she observed with feeling. I'd sooner have my eight francs. Then you just won't get them, said Dodo, with finality. And you shan't have that unless you say thank you. The veranda was empty as lunch had begun, so Jack said, thank you. The news of their engagement soon got about the hotel, and caused a much more favourable view to be taken of Dodo's behaviour to Jack in the minds of the hostile camp. Of course, if she was engaged to Lord Chesterford all along, said the enemy, it puts her conduct in an entirely different light. They say he's immensely rich, and we hope we shall meet them in London. Her acting the other night was really extremely clever. Mrs. Vane gave quite a number of select little teas on the veranda to the penitent, and showed her teeth most graciously. "'Darling Dodo, of course it's a great happiness to me,' she would say. "'And the Marquis is such a very old friend of ours. So charming, isn't he? Yes.' and they're simply devoted to each other. The speeches seemed quite familiar still to her. Dodo regarded the sudden change in the minds of the shocked section with much amusement. It appears I'm quite proper after all, she thought. That's a blessing anyhow. The colonial bishop will certainly ask me to share his mitre now he knows I'm a good girl. Jack, 
she called out to him as he passed. "'You said the salon smelled like a church this morning. Well, it's only me. I diffuse an odour of sanctity, I find.' The princess expressed her opinions on the engagement. "'I'm sorry that you can't marry my brother,' she said. "'You would have suited him admirably, and it would have been only natural for you to stay with your brother-in-law.' "'What shall I give you for a wedding present? "'There's the bearskin prayer-book, if you like. "'Waldenek is very cross about it. "'He says you told him he mightn't go away, so he has to stop. "'Are you going out on the picnic?' "'Waldenek's getting up a picnic. "'He's ordered champagne. "'Do you think it will be amusing? "'They will drink the health of you and Lord Chesterford. "'If you'll promise to reply in suitable terms, I'll come.' Why didn't you come and see me this morning? I suppose you were engaged. Of course my brother was proposing to you after breakfast, and then you had to go and talk to your young man. Come to the picnic, Dodo. You shall show me how to throw stones. They were going to walk up to a sufficiently remote spot in the rising ground to the east of Zermatt and find their lunch ready for them. The prince had no sympathy with meat sandwiches and a little sherry out of a flask, and his sister had expressed her antipathy to fresh eggs, so he told the hotel-keeper that lunch would be wanted, and that there were to be no hard-boiled eggs and no sandwiches, and plenty of deck-chairs. The princess firmly refused to walk as far, and ordered what she said was less unlike a horse than the others, and asked Dodo to wait for her, as she knew she wouldn't be in time. She was one of those people who find it quite impossible to be punctual at whatever time she had an engagement. She was always twenty minutes late. But, as Dodo remarked, "'That's the same thing as being punctual when people know you. I think punctuality is a necessity,' she added, "'more than a virtue.' "'Haven't you got a proverb about making a virtue of necessity?' said the princess vaguely. "'That's what I do on the rare occasions on which I am punctual.' All my virtues are the result of necessity, which is another word for inclination. Yes, inclination is necessity when it's sufficiently strong, said Dodo. Consequently, even when it's weak, it's still got a touch of necessity about it. That really is a comfortable doctrine. I shall remember that next time I want not to go to church. My husband is a very devout Roman Catholic remarked the princess. He's got an admirable plan of managing such things. First of all, he does what his conscience, he's got a very fine conscience, tells him he shouldn't. It must be very amusing to have a conscience. You need never feel lonely. Then he goes and confesses, which makes it all right, and to make himself quite safe he gives a hundred roubles to the poor. He's very rich, you know. It doesn't matter to him a bit. That gets him an indulgence. I fancy he's minus about six weeks purgatory. He's got a balance. I expect he'll give it me. You have to be very rich to have a balance. He pays for his pleasures down in hard cash, you see. It's much better than running up a bill. He's very anxious about my spiritual welfare sometimes. Does he really believe all that? asked Dodo. "'Dear me, yes,' said the princess. "'He has a most childlike faith. "'If the priest told him 
there was an eligible building site in heaven going cheap, he'd buy it at once. Personally, I don't believe all those things. They don't seem to me in the least probable. What do you believe? asked Dodo. Oh, I've got plenty of beliefs, said the princess. I believe it's wiser being good than bad, and fitter being sane than mad. I don't do obviously low things. I'm sorry for the poor devils of this world. I'm not mean. I'm not coarse. I don't care about taking an unfair advantage of other people. My taste revolts against immorality. I should as soon think of going about with dirty nails. If I believed what the priests tell me, I should be a very good woman, according to their lights. As it is, though my conduct in all matters of right and wrong is identical with what it would be, I'm one of the lost. English people are just as irrational in their way, said Dodo, only they don't do such things in cold blood. They appeal to little morbid emotions excited by Sunday evening and slow tunes in four sharps. I went to a country church once on a lovely summer evening, and we all sang Hark, Hark, My Soul at the tops of our voices, and I walked home with my husband, feeling that I'd never do anything naughty any more, and Maud and her husband and he and I sang hymns after dinner. It was simply delicious. The world was going to be a different place ever afterwards, and I expected to die in the night. But I didn't, you know, and next morning all the difference was that I'd caught a cold sitting in a hayfield, and that was the end. No, it's no use, said the princess, but I envy those who have the religion, as they say in our country. It makes things so much easier. What I couldn't help wondering, said Dodo, was whether I should be any better if I'd kept up the feeling of that Sunday night. I should have stopped at home singing hymns, I suppose, instead of going out to dinner, but what then? Should I have been less objectionable when things went wrong? Should I have been any kinder to... To anybody? I don't believe it. Of course you wouldn't, said the princess. You go about it the wrong way. We neither of us can help it, because we're not made like that. It would be as sensible to cultivate eccentricity in order to become a genius. People who have the religion like singing hymns, but they didn't get the religion by singing hymns. They sing hymns because they've got it. What is so absurd is to suppose, as my husband does, that a hundred roubles at stated intervals produces salvation. That's his form of singing hymns, and the priests encourage him. I gave it up long ago. If I thought singing hymns or encouraging priests would do any good, I'd sell my diamonds and buy a harmonium and give the rest away. But I don't think anything so absurd." David was so sensible, said Dodo. I've got a great affection for David. He told his people to sing praises with understanding. You see, you've got to understand it first. I wonder if he would have understood Hark, Hark, My Soul. I didn't, but it made me feel good inside. Somebody said religion was morality touched with emotion, said the princess. My husband hasn't got any morality, and his emotions are those excited by killing bears. Yet the priests say he's wonderfully religious. There's something wrong somewhere, said Dodo. The party were waiting for them when they came up. 
The prince led Dodo to a place next to him, and the princess sat next Jack. "'I'm so sorry,' said Dodo. "'I'm afraid we're dreadfully late.' "'My sister is never in time,' said the prince. "'She kept the emperor waiting half an hour once. His imperial majesty swore.' "'Oh, you're doing me an injustice,' said she. "'I was in time the other day.' "'Let us do her justice,' said the prince. "'She was in time, but that was because she forgot what the time was.' "'That's the cause of my being unpunctual, dear,' remarked the princess. "'Today it was also because the thing like a horse wouldn't go, "'and Dodo and I talked a good deal.' Mrs. Vane was eating her chicken with great satisfaction. A picnic with a prince was so much capital to her. "'I can't think why we don't all go and live in the country always,' she said, "'and have little picnics like this every day. Such a good idea of your highness. So original, and such a charming day!' The prince remarked that picnics were not his invention, and that the credit for the weather was due elsewhere. "'Oh!' "'But you said last night you were sure it was going to be fine,' said Mrs. Vane, floundering a little. "'Dodo, dear, didn't you hear the prince say so?' "'Here's to the health of our Zadkiel,' said Dodo. "'May his shadow, etc. Drink to old Zadkiel, Jack, the founder of the feast, who stands us champagne. I'll stand you a drink when you come to see us in England.' "'His serenity,' she said, emptying her glass." "'What a lot of things I am,' murmured the prince. "'Don't forget I'm a poor devil, whom you pity as well.' "'Do you find pity a satisfactory diet?' asked Dodo saucily. She was determined not to be frightened of him any more. The prince decided on a bold stroke. "'Pity is akin to love,' he said, below his breath. But he had found his match, for the time being, at any rate. "'Don't mistake it for its cousin, then.' laughed Dodo. The conversation became more general. The princess said the mountains were too high and large, and she didn't like them. Jack remarked that it was purely a matter of degree, and the princess explained that it was exactly what she meant. They were so much bigger than she was. Mrs. Spencer plunged violently into the conversation, and said Mount Everest was twice as high as the Matterhorn, and you never saw the top. The princess said, "'Oh,' and Jack asked how they knew how high it was if the top was never seen, and Mrs. Spencer explained vaguely that they did it with sextants. Maud said she thought he meant theodolites, and Dodo asked a bad riddle about sextants. On the whole the picnic went off as well as could be expected, and Dodo determined to have lunch out of doors every day for the rest of her natural life. After lunch Mr. Spencer and Maud wandered away, to pick flowers, presumably. Mrs. Vane moved her chair into the shade, in such a position that she could command a view of the mountain, and fell asleep. Jack smoked a short black pipe, chiefly because the prince offered him a cigar, and Dodo smoked cigarettes and ate cherries backwards, beginning with the stalk, and induced the princess to do the same, receiving two seconds start. "'It's a form of throwing stones,' Dodo explained. The most distressing old gentleman was sighted under a large white umbrella, moving slowly up the path a little below them, and Dodo insisted on inviting him to lunch, as it was certain that he had just left the table d'hôte. 
He thought it simply charming of me, she said as she came back. He's quite forgiven Jack for shouting. Besides, I took him the princess's compliments. He's English, you know. End of chapter 17